Hey everybody, welcome back to our podcast. This is Explanation Staff Edition, and I'm your host, Dr. Sugarman, if you don't know who I am. Real quick, for anybody who just listens to this and doesn't do it on YouTube, we actually have much better video going on right now, so I do think it's a good idea to watch the video, but also, I am going to be drawing something today. You can still follow along, for sure, if you're just listening to the podcast, but if you want to actually see what I'm talking about, if you're a visual person, then I'm going to... We're going to attempt to draw stuff today on the iPad and see if we can transfer that to video. All right. So today we're going to be talking about vestibular syndrome. So some of the people may know a little bit about this, but you may not know, you know, all the different parts of it and like what we think about when we think about vestibular syndrome. So we're going to talk about that today. First, we're going to talk about what is the vestibular system. The first thing we think about is vestibular usually means something in the ears, like the inner ears. This is because we have multiple parts to the vestibular system. So we have the ear that's made up into different parts. So if you think about an ear, you have the little ear flap that's called the pinna. And then the pinna goes down into this ear canal. And that ear canal is, if you can put your finger into it, that's basically the outer ear canal. When we get to the middle ear canal, we have the tympanic membrane. The tympanic membrane is actually our eardrum. And that's what keeps the outer ear from touching the inner ear, essentially. And then after that tympanic membrane, or the eardrum, we have the inner ear. The inner ear has lots of different things to it. There's three main bones to it. But the ones that we're actually most concerned about is this thing called the semicircular canals. It has three little canals in there. This three little loops, essentially. And in there is a bunch of fluid and hairs. So that fluid tells your body where you are in space. So let's say you are on a roller coaster. That fluid would flip to the top of your semicircular canals, and that would tell your body or your brain that you are upside down. When you are on one of those spinny tilt-a-wheel type things, tilt-a-whirl, whatever they're called, if you're going fast in a clockwise position, all of that fluid is going, is using gravity to tell your body that you're going in one direction very quickly. If you are standing upright, all of that fluid is at the bottom of the canal. So it tells you that you are standing upright. You're laying down, it tells you which position you're laying down. So that's how your body actually knows where you are in space. Is this tiny little bone, these semicircular canals with hair and fluid in it, tells your body where you are. Now that's one part of the vestibular system. So that part is the inner ear portion. And then we have this nerve that's called the the vestibular cochlear nerve. So the vestibular cochlear nerve, vestibular, we know at this point means that it's going to be something to do with your balance, right? Cochlear is actually the other reference term for the other bones that are in there. Cochlear is our hearing mechanism. So both our balance and our hearing is in this inner portion of the ear. But our vestibular cochlear nerve is cranial nerve eight. Cranial just meaning it's something in the head. We have multiple cranial nerves, and this is just specifically the one called cranial nerve eight. Has this nerve that goes from our semicircular canals up through our like head face area, and then it goes into your brain. The brain then is the third part. 
So we have first part is the semicircular canals. Second part is the vestibular cochlear nerve. And our third part is the brain. Okay. Those are three things that make up what our vestibular system is. So you could have a problem in any of those three areas that could cause you or a dog to have a vestibular syndrome. So vestibular syndrome has other names as well, but the most classic thing we call it is usually vestibular syndrome. There are lots of different reasons for it. So some of the things that we're looking for kind of helps us to tell us what part of the system we're looking for. If we think of our dogs that come in who are usually vestibular, like one of the main things that I'm looking for, and I bet a lot of the technicians are looking at when they're trying to figure out if this is vestibular syndrome, is their eyeballs, right? So if you have your eyes in your dog, if anybody's watching this, I'm a terrible drawer, I'm very sorry. But let's say we have our dog. Looks like a balloon. But it's a dog, I swear. And then we have our ears. It's a terrible dog. I'm so sorry. Again, I'm not a good drawer. Anyways, <laughs> looks more like a goblin than a dog. Anyways, so if you have the eyeballs going back and forth or up and down in a really fast motion, that's something called vestibular syndrome. Typically, you'll see either their eyeballs going really fast, let's say to the left, and then a little bit slower to the right, then really fast to the left, and then slower to the right. So that's called fast phase left if the fast phase or the quick phase is actually going to the left and the slower phase is going to the right. It's not so much that we have to know that. It just helps us localize where this problem is probably going to be. But we, we have to like look to see which way this is going. So... For dogs who have nystagmus, that eye movement back and forth, if their eye movement is going vertical, is going horizontally, like it's going. Sorry. If it's going horizontally, so meaning we're going like left and right, then you can think of it as that that dog is using its eyes to point to its ears. It's like, hey, there's something wrong in the ear portion of this. So that first portion, portion one of our vestibular cochlear, sorry, our vestibular um, system. So if it's going back and forth, the two big things that we think that this is going to be like the most likely things that, that it's going to be is either going to be idiopathic. So if anybody doesn't know what idiopathic means, that means that we don't know. We don't know what causes this. It just happens, but we don't know why. The other name for that is going to be an old dog vestibular syndrome. Dog. So an idiopathic or old dog vestibular syndrome, this is usually something that we'll see these clinical signs happen for just a short period of time. So usually about two to three days, they start getting better. And within about two to three weeks, they're usually back to normal again. And like, like I said, we don't know why. It just happens and it just goes away on its own. The other thing that we think of when it's going back and forth like this is going to be that it is from um, an inner ear infection. So otitis interna or media.
So otitis interna or media. Otitis interna refers to like where the eardrum is versus otitis media refers to beyond the eardrum. So otitis in general just means that it's an inflammation of the ear. Oto is ear. Itis is usually an inflammation. So there's some sort of inflammation of the ears. This could be that they have an outer ear infection. So like... They could have an outer ear infection that then spreads internally and goes into the eardrum, which then goes into the inner eardrum. And that could be that it has like the actual infection, that bacteria or that yeast that's causing the infection that then makes inflammation inside the inner eardrum or the inner ear canal just by all that, that pressure that's on there. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have infection in the inner ear. You just have to have some sort of inflammation in the inner ear. The other thing that it could be is that if you have an ruptured eardrum, so that could be from like a foreign object or something, or even just a really bad inflammation from an ear infection can cause a ruptured eardrum. So if you have a ruptured eardrum, then that could cause the inflammation to go into the ear or the infection to go into the ear, which then will cause an otitis interna or otitis media. There is a third way that you can get an inflammation of the inner ear, and that is by blood. It's a really uncommon thing to have happen, though. Like they're usually, like when there's an infection in the bloodstream, that it can go into the inner ear. Technically, the other way too is if you have really bad dental disease, that can go. There is a a system that goes up into the mouth first, from the mouth into the ear, uh, called the eustachian tube. And that can cause an infection as well. Again, not a very common thing, but it is definitely something that can happen. So, you know, when we have these dogs that have their eyes going horizontal nystagmus, so back and forth, the big things that we think about is that it's some sort of idiopathic, meaning we don't know, or old dog vestibular syndrome, or that it could be something in the ear. So like some sort of ruptured eardrum or an otitis interna or media. Now, when that dog has Oops. When that dog has vertical nystagmus, that means that their eyeballs are going up and down. Now, vertical nystagmus to me means a lot more of the brain. Their eyes are pointing to their brain. They're saying there's something wrong up in the brain. So when it's in the brain, the big things that we think of is either going to be a stroke or it's going to be a brain tumor. For either of these, they can be really difficult because you don't always know if it's a stroke or a brain tumor besides doing something like an MRI. There is a third type of nystagmus, and that is called rotary nystagmus. So if you think of like a semicircle, so something that goes like, like, like going up and then going up, up and to the left, sorry, going up to the left, up and then down. I don't know how else to say that. You know, like a semicircle of a moon. So if it's just going in some sort of a half moon type thing and then going right back down. And that's called rotary. So that's rotary nystagmus. So 
Rotary nystagmus is hard because there's not really, it doesn't point us to either way. It's just a different type of nystagmus. And just seeing that the eyes are going back and forth in some other manner tells us still that this is a vestibular syndrome. So let's talk about the other things that kind of go along with vestibular syndrome besides our nystagmus. Some of those other things are going to be like they're really walking off balanced. They might be having a head tilt typically to the side of the ear that's affected. Or, or to the side of the head that's affected. They may even have nausea because this is like their brain is on a roller coaster all the time. That's really difficult for them because they just, they cannot process where their, their brain is, where their body is in the world. So they feel like they're on this really big roller coaster. So the other things is they can have CP deficits. So that's where, if you remember, if, if you've ever seen us like put the paw on the ground, the top of the paw so that the toes, the top of the toes are touching the ground, the dog should be able to automatically flip their foot back over. That's called a conscious proprioception, meaning that they understand where their foot is and that it is in the wrong place. So their foot tells their brain that, hey, there's a problem. Their brain goes and tells it their foot to fix the problem. It's an automatic thing. The dog doesn't even have to think about it. It's just a reflex that they have. But if they don't have that, then we start worrying about, I just literally said the foot to the brain. That had nothing to do with the ear. So if we lose something like that, if we don't have any CPs or we have CP deficits, the dog's foot cannot talk to the ear. That tells us that there is a problem with the brain, not that it's going to be in the ear. Like I said, most of the time, if it is going to be a horizontal nystagmus, most of the time it's going to be idiopathic or the ear. But that doesn't, oh, it's not like 100% always the case. It's just like a good jumping point or a good starting point to say this is most likely what it's going to be. You can still have horizontal nystagmus and it be something in the brain. Because especially if we see those things like those CP deficits, then I'm a lot more worried that it's something in the brain. So some of these signs too, we talked about, we talked about like the falling over, we talked about the head tilt. If this is a person, the other thing that we would see would be that they could also potentially have slurring of words. And so you have to start thinking about stroke type things for those situations. Dogs don't really have that. They can't really slur their barking, essentially. So it's really just like us seeing all these other signs. There's nothing that's going to prove to us that it's going to be a stroke or that it's going to be a brain tumor besides doing an MRI, like I said. But again, we'll get that to that in a bit. So if we see one of these pets coming in, most of the time they're not walking. People think that they have had a stroke. It's the most common thing they'll say is my dog had a stroke or that their dog just isn't walking. i say those are like the two most common things. But we have to start thinking about the things that are causing those things. So you can automatically identify and you're like, oh, it's, it looks like a vestibular dog. You hear that a lot. We have to decide what the underlying cause of that is. So the very first thing is we're going to want to look inside the ears. One easy thing to do is just get a otoscope, the, the scope that we look down in the ears with, so we can look at the eardrum to see if that eardrum is intact. If we see that there's a really bad ear infection or that the eardrum is ruptured, that's pretty easy. Most of the time, it's just going to be giving the medications. Medications, though, have to be very, very specific. If there is a ruptured eardrum, some people will try to put medication, any over-the-counter over medication, into the ear, and that can be extremely detrimental. So if you're a receptionist and you hear somebody talking about how the dog is having an ear problem, an ear infection, 
I always would tell them, do not go get over-the-counter medication because you could cause permanent damage if you put it into an ear that has a ruptured eardrum. They should 100% come in for that ear infection, so we make sure we put them on the proper medication for it. If it is an ear infection, most likely we will give an oral medication, so giving pills, and that usually is something that they'll take for about six to eight weeks. That's a really long time for them to take these oral medications. There are some ear medications that you can give that are safe for a ruptured eardrum, but not all of them. It's pretty, pretty limited as what's safe for them. And those are usually ones that are not sold over the counter. So like I said, if you're a receptionist and you hear them talking about an ear infection and they just want to get something over the counter, would not recommend that because again, we don't want to cause permanent damage. So if this is an ear infection that caused this and let's say that it goes untreated, then it's just going to either stay the same or get worse. Versus if this is an ear infection, we treat it, it's going to take six to eight weeks, but that pet is usually 100% better after that. It's usually not a lot that causes them to have permanent damage from it, luckily. If this is things like the old dog vestibular syndrome or, or idiopathic vestibular syndrome, like we talked about, we don't know why it happens, it just happens. Like I said, most of the time they start improving within a couple of days and then within two weeks, they're usually back to normal. We don't have to give them medications for that, but sometimes we do give them anti-nausea medications because like I said, they are nauseous and we want to try to just alleviate them and make them as comfortable as possible since there's no pills or anything that I can give them to make their nystagmus or their vestibular syndrome go away. Now, if this is not that, if this is not an ear problem, if this is maybe something that shows that it's going the vertical nystagmus or rotary nystagmus, either up and down or, or that semicircular motion, then I start wondering if this is something in the brain. So we need to try to figure out like what we can do for those pets to try to determine what the cause was. Now, blood work is not going to show if that pet has had a stroke or not, but it might show us why the pet might have had a stroke. So in about 50% of stroke cases, there is some sort of underlying cause. It's not just because the pet is old or because it has some heart problem. Like most of the time, there's some underlying, or 50% of the time, there's some underlying cause. So we need to look into those things. So it's preparing the owner that we're probably going to want to do blood work and a blood pressure. So things that can cause them to have a stroke are going to be things like some underlying conditions such as high blood pressure, kidney disease, um, hypothyroidism, which is low thyroid, Cushing's disease, which is one that Dr. Z covered, so you should definitely listen to that one. It could be problems with their proteins or even blood clotting problems and other things that can cause them to have a stroke potentially. So doing blood work will help and doing a blood pressure will help us rule some of those things out. The bigger thing for that is because we want to get those under control in case the dog has another stroke. We want to fix that prior to that dog having another stroke. If it is a stroke, Unfortunately, a CT is not going to show us. It's going to have to be an MRI. But um, most of those pets will either like mostly improve. They might have that happen again pretty quickly afterwards, but most of them will either stay the same or improve. They're usually not going to just get worse with it if, from just having a stroke unless they have another stroke again. So for those dogs, I talk to people about like, potentially getting an MRI, really you're just going to get an answer. There's nothing really we can do about a stroke, unfortunately. The last thing we're going to talk about for the main differentials is going to be neoplasia or cancer. 
these are things that um, you could potentially see on a CT scan, but CTs are not the most sensitive thing for looking for brain tumors. Those are usually going to be actually doing an MRI. That's going to be the most beneficial for that. This can also be from like cancers other places. Let's say maybe they have a cancer in their liver that can spread to the brain and cause um, the same thing. It could cause a brain tumor or stroke-like symptoms. And again, an MRI is going to be the, the best thing for that, but it's really expensive, right? So a lot of times I'll tell people, if you would go to have brain surgery, then 100% you should go do an MRI. But if you wouldn't do brain surgery, then what is the point of that? You're going to get an answer, but there's not going to be any treatment that you're going to be able to do for it, right? So I would save your money. Don't go get an MRI unless you would absolutely do brain surgery. Then yes, 100% you should go do an MRI then. Now there are other random things that can cause um, vestibular syndrome, such as things like hypothyroidism, like we talked about before, that can definitely cause it. Or certain toxins can cause a vestibular syndrome. Um, certain medications, like really high doses of metronidazole, can cause it as well. And then something called meningoencephalitis, which I covered in the men meningitis episode. So if you want to go back and listen more to that as well. Those are other random causes of it. Uh, one other thing I forgot to talk about with the neoplasia or the cancer is it can be cancer in that, it doesn't have to be cancer in the brain. It can be cancer in that vestibular cochlear nerve. Like I was talking about before, there's three things that affect the affect your balance, right? So one is going to be those fluid in the semicircular canals. The second thing is going to be your nerve, your vestibular cochlear nerve. And the third thing is going to be your brain. So even a, a tumor on the vestibular cochlear nerve can cause this syndrome as well. So if we go through and we look at the ears and they're normal, we look at the blood work and that's all normal, then that kind of the next step is talking to owners about whether they would go do an MRI or not, um, or even doing a CT because sometimes you can see inflammation in the ears just on the CT. But again, it's not going to tell us if they have a brain tumor. So if from there, the owner say maybe they won't do, go do a CT, then kind of our next step is going to be doing just supportive care for them. So just talking to them about doing things at home for them. When they're at home, the biggest things when the pet is at home and the owners are not at home is to try to just keep everything as close as possible. So bringing their food over to them, bringing their water over to them, keeping potty pads down so it's easier to clean things up and they don't get like urine scalding. Um, but when the owners are home and something that's super important for us to remember is that even when they're vestibular and they aren't walking, it is still a good idea to get them out of the kennel and get them moving. That's going to help their brain. So it helps tell their brain to move in a straight line so that that way they can start retraining their brain. Think about people who have a stroke, right? What do they do? They go to physical therapy. Physical therapy is helping them to walk again. It's helping them to move and talk and figure things out to get their body moving again. And that's exactly what we need to do for these dogs who have vestibular syndrome in the clinic and also at home. It's getting them to move. Even if it's just like literally putting them on a floor with the sling and having them like attempt to walk in a straight line. That is okay. We just need to get them out and getting their brain starting to get used to walking in a straight line. Eventually, once they start to walk in that straight line, 
Then it's going to be like putting obstacles in front of them. So putting things like chairs and stuff. So that way they have to move around obstacles in order to be able to move to wherever they need to go. If the dog is still not walking at that point, then some of the things that they can do at home are going to be like even just like range of motion things, like moving their legs around, getting them outside, getting them to the point where like they're trying to want to walk again. It's going to take a while. It's going to take days. But again, just retraining their brain to do those things. The hard things is, you know, usually these are older pets that get this. And the more they're sitting in that kennel, the more stiff they're going to become. You know, there are these really old people who are super active. There was this lady that my wife had been working with. She was 97 and she was very active. She had a urinary tract infection and had to go into the hospital in the ICU. And they refused to get her up to go to the bathroom. And so she lost so much muscle mass and then had to basically go to physical therapy just to be able to retrain her body to start moving again. And we don't want that for these pets. We don't want them to have a bad quality of life because they aren't moving around very much. So this is super important to get them to help keep up their strength is to get them moving. Like I said, even if it's just like doing range of motion things, like as if they're like riding a bike, like something to try to help with that so that they're not so stiff. And then getting them out of the kennel, if you can imagine like being in a hospital bed all the time, you're going to be pretty depressed, right? You don't get to see the sunlight. You're just in this hospital bed listening to a ton of other barking dogs. I would be pretty sad too. So by getting them like out, even outside to the sunshine, getting them out to see their parents, like those are all things that are going to help with that to get them like more motivated to move and less depressed then. Some of these dogs too, when they have um, strokes and stuff, they are still going to have a potential head tilt. And a lot of times it will take them longer to recover from a stroke. So let's say it'll take probably about three weeks. They may start seeing significant improvement within a week to two weeks, but it's usually about three weeks that they're back to normal. And then after that, they can't have some weird signs afterwards. Like I said, they can have a head tilt afterwards or maybe they like never quite walk but a straight line. Just like people who have strokes, right? Like they are never quite normal. Maybe they like drag their foot a little bit or at night they have drooping of their lip or something. Um, all those things can still happen in our vestibular dogs. Now, a very common thing that people will ask is going to be like, is this going to happen again? And 100% this could happen again. No matter what type it was, whether it was from ear infections or idiopathic or stroke or tumor, in a brain tumor, by the way, they are going to get worse. Um, most of the time, they like either slowly get worse or get worse real fast. But in those cases, usually it's going to get a lot worse. But in those patients, if they don't improve within the first two weeks, then I start worrying a lot more that it's a brain tumor or a, or a really severe stroke. So whether this can happen again, yes, it can happen again in any of those cases. If they get another ear infection, of course, it can happen. If they end up having another stroke, it can happen. Or even with vestibular dogs, it, it can still happen in a month or two. Usually it'll go away for that period of time and then just happen again. And there's really nothing that triggers it. It just happens. So you just have to remember that. Because especially because people are going to ask, I'll probably go over it in a room, but a lot of times they'll ask again. They ask all of you guys because they're like, you can't remember the hundred things that I've already talked to them about. But just remember that it can happen again so that you can help prepare them as well. So what happens to those dogs that do have a brain tumor? You know, those 
they either really need to see a neurologist to go get an MRI done and potentially do surgery, or unfortunately, some of them are inoperable. So a lot of times I talk to people about like just doing supportive care for them for a couple of weeks. And if they aren't improving, then at that point, decide whether humane euthanasia might be the best thing for them. We don't want them to just suffer because we're just kind of waiting and waiting and waiting. So I'd usually tell people like, if you will go to a neurologist, I highly suggest doing that, make an appointment, and then it's going to take two weeks, right? So if by that two-week time period, if that pet's better, then you can cancel the appointment. And if not, if they're still bad, then at least that way they already have that appointment set up and ready to go. And then those that do get brain tumors and they do do surgery, fantastic. I've had one successful one so far that they was a rescue dog of all things, but they went and had brain surgery done. And that dog did fantastic and it lived another four years. It wasn't very long. It was a rescue, but it was actually like it still got to live for another four years and did fantastic. All right. So I think that's all I have for our vestibular syndrome. I'm sorry, I was a little trying to like figure out how to do this drawing stuff and doing the podcast stuff at the same time. Sorry if it was a little bit off for today. Maybe it's my vestibular syndrome. Who knows? So for my fun fact for the day, so my son, is he's trying to get into junior highs. And this is just, oh man, it's such a such a bigger issue right now. But he's trying to get into these junior highs and um, he had to go talk to one of the schools and he did an interview. And one of the things that he did was that he had to also write an essay. So he wrote an essay about this kid at his school that he said had been bullying him. And he named that kid very specifically by name. And I was like, whatever. It's not like this person is probably going to be going to try to get into the school. Like it's what are the odds that they're going to try to get into this exact same school that we are? I found out today they are 100% going to get in, trying to get into that school. I was like, oh no, I hope they don't put the pieces together. But maybe they'll figure out that that kid's a bully. The other thing is that when he was doing his interview, we had talked extensively beforehand and I was like, okay, buddy, you got to make sure that you don't talk about things that are like nothing violent. Please don't talk about death. Please don't talk about guns. He's a boy and he just does those things. And he says, I know. And I was like, you can still be yourself. And he's like, no, I can't be myself. And I was like, no, you can be yourself. You can be funny. He's like, I have to be very serious then. I was like, no, no, you can be funny. You, you can be your normal self. Just leave out anything to do with violent things. Okay. So it's okay. So then when we're in the interview, he, we're sitting there talking and the, the lady doing the interview says, who, who is your favorite teacher? And he said, oh, Miss Horak is my favorite teacher. She said, well, why is that? He said, because she's a demonic fourth grade teacher. I was like, mm. like, well, it wasn't violent. I give him that. Maybe we could have used a better term for that, <laughs> but we'll see what happens. We don't know if they'll get into that school or not. The lady doing the interviews thought it was funny at least all right guys as always if you have any questions come find me if you have any topics you want me to do like i said always come find me i'm happy to do them for you and if anybody wants to come on the interview or if you want to need to even go interview a specific doctor about something or a specific person in the clinic or outside of the clinic like a dentist or a neurologist or something about a topic again let me know and i'm happy to try to find somebody to do that and then I believe next week, I can't remember if it's next week or the week after, but I am going to be interviewing Ken. 
And he's going to talk about our physical therapy for us, which I'm really excited to ask him about vestibular dogs and some of the things that we can do for them as well. And then I will also be talking to Dr. Wilsius next month. I was supposed to do it this month, but unfortunately I got really sick. So next month, we're going to be talking to Dr. Wilsius and just talking to her about acupuncture as well. All right, guys. Again, if you have any questions, let me know. Thanks.